Welcome back to the podcast. Today's guest is Shana Pearlstein, a drill sergeant and police officer. Shana and I talk about her military service as well as the two police agencies that she's worked for and her views on police relationships within the community and with her experiences as a female police officer. Take a listen to her interview and let me know what you think. Welcome back to the podcast. Today I've got Shana Perlstein. How are you, Shana? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Can you give us a little background? I know you've got military experience as well as police experience. I do. Uh, I first off want to apologize if you hear any type of dogs in the background. I just got home from vacation and mine are very excited to see me, so you might hear them running around. <laughs> we got no um, problem with that at all. <laughs> all right. Um, yes, I have been a police officer going on 10 years this month. Um, I'll be in the military. It'll be 13 years in December. And are you a drill sergeant with the military? I am. I'm a drill sergeant in the Army Reserves. And how how do you like that? Because I've never actually honestly met a drill sergeant. You see about them, you know, in TV and the movies all the time. Is is that you or is that all an exaggeration <laughs> the or yelling, what? Yes. Absolutely. The yelling with the silly hat, yes, that is me. <laughs> um, it is probably one of the most rewarding things that I've ever done. You know, it's you go from seeing somebody join the army, they raise their hand, they're a civilian and you literally build them into a soldier. And it's just, it's frustrating at first. There's little sleep, but then when they actually start kind of believing in themselves, they're like, Oh wow, I can do, you know, 20 pushups now. It's like, there you go. Now you're getting it. Is that so something it's, it's you just, always wanted to do when you joined the military? Did you, was that an ambition to become a drill sergeant or is that something that just happened? Um, I think it when I was in basic training, I loved my drill sergeant so much. She had such an impact on me. I was like, wow, I want to do that. So I finally got fed up with my military police unit. Uh, I was with him for nine years. And I was like, you know what? It's time to go drill sergeant. So I made a phone call. I was transferred over to the unit within a month. And I went to school within that year. And you regret any part of it? I do not regret any of it. What is the, uh, and the people, the recruits that you train, do they, you said you loved your drill sergeant when you started. Do do you find that a lot or do the recruits hate you or, or, or do, will they even it's, tell you that afterwards? <laughs> How does that work? Uh, it's a good mix match. Um, I actually had one soldier from my first cycle that I helped out with. I found out she was going to the unit that I was with for nine years. And, uh, you know, afterwards maybe like a year later she was like oh my gosh that was my drill sergeant i love her and i was like oh well i mean that's cool to have that impact <laughs> so it's it's really a hit or miss if they like you or not but at the end of you're still doing your job you're still you know turning them into a soldier and you don't really even care if they like you or not correct oh no <laughs> if they hate me good they can use that hate as motivation to do more push-ups <laughs> and that but you said at the end of it when you see them get transformed into a soldier from what they were before. That's that's what's what you like. It, it is. It's the most rewarding thing, and you've got to think about it. It's, this is the product that we're placing into the United States Army these days. Uh, I'm not going to be a drill sergeant forever. I'm going to go back to a line platoon, and they're going to be my soldiers eventually. So you've got to, you know, I, I really put my heart into it just because I know, you know, that's who I'm going to be working with later. That's who's going to have my back. It's There's two ways to become a drill sergeant in the Army. You get what's called DA selected, which is the top 10% of the army. So they literally make you go. So, you know, there are people in my class who absolutely did not want to go, but I volunteered for it. And then at the end of the day, is at least you want to, so 
That's not something you want to stay doing, though. You said eventually you will go back. Is that because that's mandatory for you to go back? Or is that something that you'll have done your job there and then you just want to go back? Uh, I think I'm just going to want to go back. I mean, there's a few guys in my unit that have been there for 10 plus years. Uh, I want to do my time as a drill. I'm going on. It's been a little over two years now, so I'll probably spend a few more years there. Once I get promoted, then I'll go back to a platoon and be a platoon sergeant and, you know, become a first sergeant. And then, you know, depending on how the military and everything is is going, it just depends on my career. And that's what I was going to ask you as well, because a lot of it seems like a lot of politics get put into the military or, excuse me, politicians use the military from somewhere or another. Does that trickle down to your level? And when I say down to your level, I'm not being insulting because I think you guys are the backbone. But do politics play any part at all in the training of your recruits or your day-to-day work? Um, Long-term effects, yes. Uh, It's changing how we train them. So, you know, you see in the movies where they're all up in your face yelling, you have no time to sit and eat. That's kind of when I went through. Uh, As soon as, you know, 12 years ago when I was in basic training, as soon as somebody sat down across from you, you were done eating. Nowadays, they've got 15 minutes seated to eat. It's just kind of changing how we train them because, you know, we, we don't want to break these, these I call them kids just because they're most of them are younger than me, but we don't want to break them. We're, we're trying to build them up. So the politics, they come, they see us yelling. They're like, yeah, I don't like that. So it's, it's definitely changed how drill sergeants do their jobs, but it's, it's adapting and overcoming. Do you think that's, that it helps or doesn't help? Or like you said, you just adapt and move on. Does it make a difference to you personally? that the the training methods are changing? Uh, me personally, not really. I mean, some of the changes are definitely needed. It kind of sucks just because it's like, oh, well, I was trained that way. Why mm-hmm. can't I train them this way? And then, you know, you kind of take a step back and look at it and you're like, okay, yeah, now I, I remember this person had a broken hip and, you know, this person got pushed back from training. So it, it does make sense. And I'm like, oh, uh, it's one of those aha moments. Like, oh, ah, okay. I understand why that's happening. And do you find a lot of um, your um, people who've been there as long as you, are they adapting as well? Or do they understand? And like you said, I, I think adapting and overcoming is very important and not just complain about it, but to, to, to move on and to, you know, like you said, adapt. Uh, I would say nine out of 10 uh, have been able to adapt and, you know, train the troops how we should be training them. And then there's just that one salty drill sergeant that doesn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And we have to kind of keep an eye on them to make sure that, you know, that, we're not, uh, you know, putting these trainees in situations where it's going to be questionable or they could get hurt. So it's kind of a CYA. Yeah, for I'd sure. Cover your ass. Sorry, I'm cussing, but <laughs> that's all right. Let's roll into your um your police career. So you've been a police officer for ten years. Yes, sir. Ten years this month. And. In those 10 years, would you say that a lot has changed since you first became a police officer in like the, uh, in what's going on, the environment? It feels like a complete 180 from when I came in. And uh, I guess it's kind of, I'm in a different environment, a different department than when I started, mm-hmm. uh, you know, those 10 years ago. So it's also different environments. I started uh, in the city of Petersburg, Petersburg, Virginia, and they're not the friendliest towards law enforcement. A lot of people would wave with one finger where <laughs> I'm uh, currently with Hanover County and they wave with five fingers. They're very welcoming. They, they love their law enforcement in Hanover and it's, it's refreshing. It's very nice to have, you know, the support from the community that we do, but it's 
police work has done a complete 180 since I joined. And do you, and I asked you if you regretted that with the um, drill sergeant, how about do you regret going into law enforcement or no? Absolutely not. What drew you to law enforcement? Um, Kind of had a little bit of a rough childhood growing up. I didn't really want to see people in that situation. So I, you know, the, here's the typical answer, but I honestly mean it. I just want to help people. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's literally our job. People all the time are like, oh, I'm sorry to call you out. I'm like, it's, it's okay. It's literally my job to come here. It's perfectly fine. I'd rather get out here and talk to you than be sitting in my patrol car. Did you find that was the same way uh, people acted the same way in Petersburg? Um, for people who don't know Virginia, um, Petersburg is a fairly urban environment, correct? It's a smaller city, but it's urban nonetheless, correct? Yes, 23 square miles. And and that what what do you remember what the population is or was when you were there? I want to say it was about 30,000. Okay. And how many police officers were in the Petersburg Police Department when you were there? Um, when I was there, I want to say we had around 100 sworn. And it, it, it changed while I was there just because of some of the some things that were happening in the city. Mm-hmm. But about 100. Do you find a difference between, and you know you said between waving one finger and waving five fingers, how about the um, like the number of calls or the way that you guys were treated in Petersburg on calls? Did people still appreciate you? No, it was completely different. Um, with the department that I'm with now, uh, it's a sheriff's office, so we respond to every call, no mm. matter how silly it may be. Uh, in Petersburg, it was a police department. It was a bureau of police, so. You know, half the time the sergeant would say, that's not police-related, we're not going. I've actually, uh, you know, been on scene of a shooting where somebody had had gotten shot several times, and they're still alert, and they're like, I don't want your help. I don't want police here. And we're like, okay, all right, sir, well, head on to the hospital, that's it. We wouldn't even take a report because they wanted zero police involvement. No kidding. Wow. And why why is that? What did did you found when your years there? Why did people act that way do you think um it's just there wasn't a very good uh community relationship with the police uh it was more of a rougher city it has been getting better over the past few years but it's you know it's it's hard to say because i'm not from petersburg Mm -hmm. but there's just uh, different attitudes towards law enforcement because you see a lot of people you know getting arrested and it, it's a very high crime area. We'll say that. Do you know, did they do, when I say they, I'm in the police department in Petersburg, did mm-hmm. they do much community outreach? Did they try to do either community policing or, you know, SROs in the schools or just things that I guess are kind of sort of non-police related but are because it's reaching out and doing some community outreach? So when I left, they had gotten a new chief who was more involved with the community. So they did get a lot better about hosting more community events with the National Night Out. There are SROs, uh, school resource officers in the schools, which are helping out. Um, I don't know if it was just the environment and the chief when I was there. Uh, You know, Petersburg has had their issues. They're getting better. Uh, The chief is very much more involved in the community now and it shows and and the citizens are are kind of starting to 
they're starting to build that relationship and it's getting much better. And you say with you're with the Hanover Sheriff's Office now. How is I am. how is the how does the Hanover Sheriff's Office do you think deal better with the community? You say they're more involved because they respond on calls that aren't necessarily police related. The community absolutely loves us. Hanover is one of those towns where everybody kind of knows everybody or they know the sheriff and you know, oh, I I know your dad and I dealt with this person, I dealt with your lieutenant. It's there's a lot more community programs as well. Like uh, we do what's called park walk talks every day where we get out, we park our vehicles and we talk to people. There's a school resource officer in every school. Uh, we do a lot of community events. We're, we're just very involved in the community. And it shows by the community responding back and waving all the time and coming oh, up to yes, you they, and talking to you. Oh, they come up, they talk, they offer food, they bring snacks and stuff to headquarters um, you know, they'll always offer cold water for us if we need it. If we're out directing traffic in the heat, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been stopped at a stoplight and somebody's like, thank you for your service. And I'm like, Hey, thank you. I hope you have a good day. <laughs> and does that keep you going? Does that keep you want to be in law enforcement? It, it really does. It's, you know, you can have 10 bad days in a row, but then you have one good interaction with somebody or, you know, I've had a child who's a drawing on my police car and it just completely changes it. And you're like, all right, this is why I do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the job. There's going to be a hundred bad days, but if you have one good day, then it, it makes it worth it. And what are your favorite, this is going to sound kind of off topic from community policing, but it, okay. it kind of is really, what is, what is your favorite kind of arrest to make? Oh man. Um, ugh, this is, this is going to sound very bad of me, but the drunken publics, and why and is that? that? Uh, go ahead. I, I was gonna. I was gonna. You. Well, you read my mind. Go ahead. It's not a report call. <laughs> uh, but no, it's you know a lot of people don't realize they're like, oh, you guys are just jerks. No, we're we're arresting that person. It's a civil penalty first off. So we arrest them so we can give them a safe place so that they can kind of sober up for the night. Exactly. That way they're not out wandering the streets, intoxicated, getting into trouble, walking into the street. We're we're just taking them somewhere so that they can sober up. And that's, I think that's the key that a lot of people don't understand. And same with kind of DUI arrests and yes, domestic violence arrests. One. We're doing it to protect people. And I think yes. people need to understand that as well. Yes. Which kind of, I guess, I'm, I'm going to put this out there anyways. The DUI driving an influence, that's going to be my second favorite just because people don't realize, you know, you get one drunk driver off the street that could save how many lives. Amen. You got because it. Because if they wreck. I had one month where I had six DUI arrests, and they were all over double the legal limit. And it's just amazing how many people are driving drunk out there, isn't it? It, it really, it's mind-blowing, and it's scary. Because you got to think, you know, that's how many that we caught. How many are, are out there driving around, you know, daily, not getting caught? I think this statistic was you drive like 21 times intoxicated or something before you're actually caught, which is it's scary. Absolutely, because we're all out there driving around, walking around, everything. How about being a, a woman police officer? Does that is there a difference? Do you think should it make a difference? Have you noticed any kind of difference in interactions, or what has been your experience? My experience has been, I guess, a little different from others. Uh, with my first police department, I was the first and only female on the SWAT team, so that was was 
kind of a big deal out there. You know, they were trying to put me in the back of the stack going in the house. And I was like, no, I've done this before. Put me, put me up towards the front. And what, so people um, explain, Shane, what is, what is a stack in case people don't know? Stack. So that's when you're going in doing like a, a search warrant. It's the, the line of officers that go in to actually search the residence to find, you know, that person that we're looking for. Uh, specifically, we would, uh, SWAT team got called out a few times for homicide suspects which we caught them every time, you know, mm-hmm. without incidents or without anybody getting hurt. It's just that line of officers that line up at the door prior to going into the residence. And they put you in the back and you said, no, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> uh, um, uh, I've got kind of a loud mouth, uh, you know, I apologize, but I'm like, yeah, no, you're not putting me in the back. Put me up towards the front. I've, I've done this before. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And were you, have you been treated differently? Do you think because you're a woman or no? Has time, have times kind of caught up to the fact that women are police officers, women can do this, or do you still uh, see any backtracking? Uh, it's kind of a, a mixed match. You know, we are treated a little differently just because we are females. You know, I've got a partner on the street right now, and she's, you know, maybe 120 pounds with all of her gear on. Mm-hmm. But she... uh. We, <laughs> You know, I've gotten in foot pursuits and fights with her, and one foot pursuit, I was like, "Go get him!" And she took off and took the guy down. It was it was <laughs> phenomenal. I loved it. You know, we laugh after the fact, but it's you know, she is a little fireball, and people don't expect that. And it's like, all right, I guess we're doing this. But being, you know, we do get treated differently in law enforcement as females. I had a guy probably about two weeks ago actually try and kiss me twice. Uh, he was intoxicated. I was like, ah, hey, buddy, uh, let's not do this. I'm at work. I'm a professional. You're not going to try and do that. And then, of course, we ended up going hands-on with a guy, and he wanted to resist, and it was not a very good day. No. <laughs> but, and do you find you it, know, <clears throat> do you think that people you're trying to arrest may want to f- try to fight you more so than they'd want to fi- uh, fight a male police officer because you're a female or vice versa, or does that even make a difference do you think have you noticed um i i haven't noticed a difference just because you know i'm 5'8 155 pounds and i carry myself like i'm a six foot 250 <laughs> pound male uh-huh. um I, I don't i don't stand down i'm very much don't test me so people don't really want to fight me too much and then you know I, but i'm also very good with my words mm-hmm. we call it verbal judo mm-hmm. i'm able to talk to people and kind of calm them down and we normally have, like, me and my partners, we can kind of read off each other and, you know, do the whole good cop, bad cop thing. So it's it, it's different being a female, but it, at the same time, I don't notice too, mu- too, too much of a difference. Good. I'm glad. That's awesome. Somebody coming into law enforcement now, a new, a brand new recruit. Now, are you an FTO as well, Shana? I am a uh, field training officer, yes, <clears throat> okay. sir. Okay. Have you noticed, will people, the, your trainees... Are they nervous about coming police officers now under the current climate? Any less so or more so have you noticed in the past? Um, I haven't noticed that as much as they're nervous to be with their FTOs simply because uh, a lot of the FTOs we teach in the academy and we are very, you know, it's paramilitary. So they're like, oh my gosh, I don't want her as an FTO. She's scary. Actually, my most recent recruit who I'm, you know, best friends with now. He was like, oh, man, Pearl Scene, I'm, yeah, are you kidding me? And I got in the car and I was like, hey, man, what's up? And he's like, 
uh, you're not going to yell? And I was like, no, you, you graduated. It's time to learn. <laughs> like, let's, let's see what you learned out there. Let's go. He's so, like, oh, okay, cool. Great. So you're still seeing aggressive police officers when they're brand new. They want to be there. They're not necessarily concerned about the climate. They want to be there and, and do the job. Oh yeah, they they are ready ready to get in there and make a difference. You know, we actually we joke on our squad all the time. If there's a little call or something, we're like, "Wow, you're really out there making a difference, buddy. Good job." <laughs> we did all just kind of laugh it off. But if it, if it's a big call and we do do good, it's like, "Oh man, that was great. Hey, good job. Way to do this. Way to cover yourself there." And there's so, a camaraderie among police officers. Oh, absolutely. I'm actually supposed to uh, be going out with my squad later today for a little bit of squad bonding. What would you? What advice would you give for somebody who might be on the fence about becoming a police officer at this point, based on what they're seeing in the media? Um, I think the pendulum is kind of swinging maybe back away from such anti-cop rhetoric now. But if somebody's on the fence, how would you? What would you say to them? I would tell them come and do a ride along. If you are on the fence, come and see what we do firsthand. You get to be in that passenger seat and literally see everything for yourself. And you can make that determination instead of just, you know, watching these TV shows and thinking that we're out here doing all this wild, crazy stuff. Come on. I, my front seat is always open. <laughs> That's awesome. Once I move my bag and my gear out of it. But <laughs> exactly. of course. That's awesome, Shana. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Are you going to come back and talk to us again? Hey, if you invite me, I will. That's I'm awesome. Just, I'm just waiting for the next uh, the next book to drop so I can get into reading it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Shane. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I hope you have a good one. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. bye. That's it, guys. So what do you think of Shana? I love hearing the new police officers that she trains are excited to be in the profession and eager to get out there and do the work. I agree with her assessment about police and sheriff departments focusing on outreach within the community. When departments take on non-traditional police roles, such as organizing neighborhood events or simply checking on the older citizens in the community, it forms a strong bond between the police and the people that they serve. And we need to form strong bonds in order to ignore the people and businesses who want to drive us apart. We have the power. They don't. Take care of each other every day. Thanks for listening.